Hi, and welcome to the Airline Weekly Lounge podcast. I'm your host, the editor of Airline Weekly, Madhuri Christian. On today's podcast, in the first segment, we talked to Jonathan Sullivan, Managing Director of Accenture based in London, about what his thoughts are, or his best guess is, on the return of business travel and how business travel might structurally have changed over the course of the pandemic. Will companies travel as much as they used to? Remains to be seen. And will will the nature of trips people take change, have changed? And that, that also remains to be seen, but the possibility is the trips may be longer and less frequent. In the second segment, my colleague Ned Russell and I talk about uh, this transatlantic summer demand and how it's starting to come back. But it will, will the reopenings happen in time for summer? Memorial Day in the U.S. is about two weeks away, which is not a lot of time to plan a European vacation. We also talk about the return of domestic leisure demand in the U.S. and how people have rediscovered their love of national parks. Thank you for joining us. You can reach me at mu at skiff.com. You can reach Ned at er at skiff.com. Check us out at airlineweekly.com where information on subscribing to the weekly issue um, is available at airlineweekly.com slash subscribe. A new issue drops every Monday and we update the site throughout the week. Thank you and I hope you enjoyed the episode. Hi there, Jonathan. Welcome to the Airline Weekly Lounge. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks, Mather. Nice to be here. So, you know, I wanted to uh, I wanted to jump right into it and talk about the topic that everyone is is wondering about, and that's business travel. And when you think your your company um, thinks business travel will return. But before we get into it, for our listeners, um, Jonathan Sullivan is a managing director at Accenture. And Accenture, like a lot of consultancies, like most consultancies, sort of takes a high-level view of, uh, of this sector. So we'll be kind of looking at this issue of business travel from to use the terrible cliche, 30,000 feet. So John- <laughs> Maybe 40. 40,000 feet. All right. So from 40,000 feet, Jonathan, can you, can you do, what, what's your best sense on when you think business travel will return? Is it going to be the end of this year, as some airline CEOs in the U.S. have said, or is it going to be several years, as Gary Kelly, the CEO of Southwest, famously said? Well, yeah, I think to some extent it already has returned. I think the 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 deeper question is which segments of business travel come back and at what speed. Mm-hmm. Um, so what what we're seeing around the world, domestic business travel far and away stronger than international business travel, as is domestic leisure travel, is much stronger than than the international leisure travel right now. Um, and and we've seen, you know, both from press, from reading the the investor relations results from from hospitality companies as well as hotel companies. That in some markets, uh, things are getting not back to normal, but they're getting back to a place where hotel properties are, are profitable again. There's hmm. a lot more business transient travel, um, and yields are starting to come back up in the in the hospitality space again, driven by some business travel. The international business travel is is fundamentally not really at the whim of the businesses themselves, although many of them would love to be able to. They just they just can't because many of the borders are still closed. And well, yeah, that's a really not good much point. we can do about that. Right. Let's talk about that for a second. I mean, what are some of so you know domestic? What what are let's let's break this down into two parts. Like, let's look at domestic business travel in countries around the world, and what why that is coming back faster. And then I want to switch and talk about international travel. Let's talk about business uh, domestic business travel around the world and what you're seeing. 
Why, why is that coming back before? Uh, why is that coming back now? Well, so we, we again, we, we think about the world and for business travel, there's the kind of three big components of that. There's the mm -hmm. sales and servicing jobs. Uh, then there's the, the one-off business meetings, the ad hoc sort of work that, that took place in the past. And then there's meetings, events, and conferences. And so domestically, that, that sales and servicing element, over the course of the last year, companies have made huge strides towards trying to figure out how to service as much as they can locally and how to sell um, locally or, or, or over video as much as possible. But there's limitations there. And, and companies would really like to get their employees back out on the road traveling where, where they can, where it's safe to do so, um, because there's, there's true business benefit to doing so. Um, the, those ad hoc meetings, that's where we're, we're seeing big competition from digital means. Um, right. You know, the, the Zoom revolution and, and is taking us over. And, and to a great extent, that, that's uh, been net good for many, many people. You know, I, I think the days of the around the world trip for a two hour meeting in Hong Kong and then coming back, which, you know, a few road warriors would have told from the past are probably not going to happen um, as, as they used to. And that's that's OK, because we've gotten a lot better, a lot more efficient and, and a lot more digital in how we do things. Then meetings and events. Um, and that's that's an interesting space, because oftentimes those had a big component of international travel as well as domestic, pulling big regional teams together, um, sales conferences together, um, industry events together. And it's a real, real problem to start those back up digitally. Um, and we've, we've done as best we can with digital interactions, but it's, it's not really the same as what you get when you're in an in-person event. And, and that can't start back up until borders open back up and, and that's not in the control of business. Right. Well, you know, to go back to the domestic travel and something you said about the ad hoc meetings, uh, yeah. Uh, well, I, I'm, I'm based in San Francisco and, and a lot of companies here have not recalled workers to the off, their offices again. And some very big, I believe Salesforce says that it'll, uh, the largest private employer here in San Francisco says it won't recall um, its employees until at least September. So my question to you is, isn't that a major impediment for for business travel? I mean, you can't really have a meeting if you don't have an office. <laughs> you couldn't have said it better. It's <laughs> it's it's tough to meet if if both companies don't have an office. There's right. the internal bit, but you know, both sides have to feel comfortable with their employees traveling before you get a meeting, and, and both sides first have to open up their offices, and you know, I'm, it's a wonderful thing that most companies, and in fact. I think every company in the travel space has taken this very seriously and, and has been very careful about when they reopen their offices. Hmm. So, so, so it, it kind of pivots <laughs> us back to leisure travel in the meantime to make money in the travel right. business. Yeah. So the first step is calling people back to their offices. Then business travel will start to, to take off more substantially, right? That's, that's our expectation. Our, we, we had a big timeline. It was, you know, first we start to get vaccines. Mm. Then people will want to travel long before they probably can because because the wave of vaccinations takes a good bit of time. Um, then probably more leisure travel picks up before business travel comes back, um, serving two purposes. One, people just need to reconnect with families, friends, take vacations. And, and we've done some super interesting research about how people are looking to spend a lot more money on leisure travel right now 
than than they were before the and I can talk about that if you'd like. Um, and then eventually, when people are comfortable traveling, when people are comfortable being back in an office space again, then then employers are more comfortable taking the risk of of sending more discretionary business travel out. And through this whole time, travel that was not discretionary was going to take place. Doctors were going to travel to the extent they needed to. Servicing jobs on big equipment was going to travel to the extent it had to. Um, and and you know, fortunately, the the wisdom of most governments, we've kept a lot of that alive. Right. Well, let, let's go back to something you said earlier that was really interesting. Um, and that was, uh, I guess, getting at the question of whether there's been a structural change in business travel um, in this era of Zoom. I mean, uh, I think the Tata group struck fear into into the hearts of every airline CEO when uh, when they closed a, a billion, that's $1 billion sale over Zoom. And you, you, you yourself just recently, just a few minutes ago mentioned that you think that the sort of lunchtime meeting in Hong Kong from, you know, sending someone from, from New York or London to Hong Kong for one or two meetings that you think that's just gone. So, so how do you think the, the, I mean, how, how do you think, the, the nature of business travel has has structurally changed because of the pandemic. Um, so part of me, when you say that question, goes into my, my revenue management head, and I'm, I'm, I'm thinking through it for, from those ends, that, that short-term, last-minute travel for emergency and completely inelastic, big-deal business meetings I don't expect that to be back there for, for a lot of good reasons. There are better alternatives. Mm-hmm. Um, there are far greener and more sustainable alternatives. And we have seen companies all over the world say, look, sustainability is a big part of our agenda going forward. So it's huge for us. Right. Um, and we, we are clearly into that going forward. Um, and, and then finally, does, does it help that much, that one meeting, right? Because a really well-run sales campaign and, and I, I don't know anything at all about what, what Tata was doing there, but no, no sale that big takes place in one meeting. It's, it's a long campaign. Right. Um, it's a very serious contract, and, and those things take place. You do form relationships even over Zoom yeah. um, in, those, in those times. And so, so it's just you know what we used to think in the airline industry was required for travel may not be true anymore. And... You know, as a as a professional consultant, mostly to airlines, um, we didn't do video conferences very often. We we flew, and right. we flew a lot. And nowadays, even after a year of this, I think most airline clients expect you to be there on video and not fly. Right. Um, and and they'd love to see you, and we'd love to see them. But for the time being, until the broader community of businesses open up, um, it's going to be a while before we actually see each other. Well, you know, let, let's uh, let's let's make take on a little personal tangent here. I mean, you're based in London. I'm looking at you. You're sitting in what appears to be your study in London, your home office. I'm in my home office in San Francisco. This kind of meeting would have taken months, if not uh, mo- weeks, if not months, to organize and plan. Yes. Not to mention the expense on both ends and the the days of travel. Um, and and here we are. Just uh, we're recording this. Uh, while looking at each other uh, half a world away. And, uh, that's something that, that uh, you know, that's an advantage that uh, this era of Zoom, much as we complain about it, has conferred upon the business world, just making certain connections a lot easier. Well, I, I, I tell people, half jokingly, but, but mostly seriously, I start my days in Australia. 
and then I, I go to India for a little bit, right. um, spend a little time in the Middle East, come to Europe, go to the North America and, and, and South America, and then I end up back in Australia before I go to bed. Huh. Um, and, and most of the times it, it is in-person kind of interactions over, over video conference. Right. That, I think, has two countervailing effects on, on business travel um, and leisure travel. The, the first is maybe I don't need to travel for some quick interactions. The second is, geez, it's a lot easier to try and do business over borders than it used to be. Right. And that may ultimately drive long-term trends to bringing business travel back in different ways than what we've seen before. Um, so we've we've done research around, you know, how does business travel and leisure travel start to mix together? In a world where, um, especially crossing borders, there's more uncertainty, there's more risk, there's more work to be done. Is there more time that we should take on either end of a trip hmm. to get ready or to enjoy a space that we go to? Um, I, I Most road warriors don't really enjoy being on the road for what, most people who don't travel think they're actually doing right and and <laughs> no, that's this, true. this blending of, of business and leisure could be a real trend going forwards and in order to get that right i think travel companies especially airlines have an opportunity to try and sell far more as add-ons to these leisure customers um, and then they'll need to find a way to do that to have add-ons outside the corporate sphere, outside the expense account for the business travelers so that they can enjoy both ends of these trips. It's an opportunity as much as it is a challenge. Now that's really interesting. I mean, uh, you know, for years I used to go to the Paris Air Show every other year in Les Bourget. And, you know, my friends would say, rough life, your company sends you to Paris. And I would tell them I saw the inside of a hotel room, the inside of a train, and um, the flight line at uh, Les Bourget. Not really <laughs> Not quite the city of lights, but the, the so uh, this what you're saying then is that there you see opportunity or Accenture is seeing opportunity and sort of given this trend toward or what you think will be longer business trips, not short, you know, meet lunchtime meetings in Hong Kong. Um, there could be an opportunity to sell leisure on either end to the road. Yeah, world. And, it, and if you if you think about this and this this starts to call into the complexity of, of the world that we're living in today. And that great challenge that airlines are going to have in this process of, all right, that is far harder than before to sell travel. Now I have to find a way to sell business travel through a business channel mm-hmm. to, to corporate customers who've got managed travel. And perhaps they want to take a spouse, a significant other, a child with them on a trip. Um, and I've got to find a way to cater to both of those. Um, perhaps the corporate expense doesn't allow that to take place that way, but they would like to do it anyways because this is more complicated. And it's really up to the airline to try and figure out how to close that sale. It's hmm. it's not the billion-dollar sale, but we need to do a billion of these right. in order to rebuild the business. And, boy, does that call for cloud? Does that call for significant digital enhancements and a lot of trial and error over time to get it right? which are things that the aviation industry has traditionally struggled to do at speed and pace. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, and, and I, this is a really good segue to something you and I talked about um, before this, this, this recording. And that was um, the bifurcation of business travel from sort of the large corporates. Which, you know, I, I believe Ed Bastian has really, really hammered this point home. Ed Bastian, the CEO of Delta, that, that Delta is now looking at uh, or seeing more business travel come back from small and medium-sized enterprises rather than the large corporates. So, you know, airlines typically, as we were talking about, have gone after 
have relied on managed travel and corporate contracts for a lot of their sort of corporate sales. But now they're entering an era where they might have to deal with a lot more unmanaged travel. How do they capture that revenue? Um, well, the core of all airlines always has been schedule. Mm-hmm. So, so first and foremost, we've got to get schedule frequency right. Um, and whether that's big corporates or or smaller ones, we we need to understand that. Underneath that is is really around understanding demand. And and this is where um, many airlines, and I won't say all, but many airlines have a long ways to go to truly understanding who was the buyer in the past? What are the buyers looking like today for this sort of travel? Where are they? And then what does their demand network actually look like? And that that sounds like a typical corporate contracting approach when you're dealing with the big corporates. You sit down, you bid out a bunch of O&Ds. We try and understand when they want to go. We, we price out our BDs for, for specific ones. We set up discounts where, where we want them. Well, now we have to do something like that at a much richer scale for smaller businesses that have less frequent travel. Um, and then we have to get a price in front of them that these companies feel good about buying and hopefully one way or the other influence the unmanaged end of corporate policies. And most small and medium-sized businesses take an owner's view to that. Right. So they are, they're very much lowest fare of the day, um, unless you tell me otherwise. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and for whatever reasons. And so airlines are going to need to to work around how do, how do I win that lowest fare of the day and then upsell to that individual traveler in ways that are something they want to pay for out of their own pocket or corporate policy possible. Again, we're asking for rebuilding and constructing networks between an airline and a bunch of small and medium-sized businesses. Companies like Salesforce and others for a long time have been around trying to help in that space. And yeah. I say Salesforce because you brought it up, but it's it is that kind of software as a service technology that we need to try to introduce in the small and medium sized markets, rather than just the opt in kind of clubs for extra points, which is the tr- traditional approach to, to dealing with them. The other thing is we've been trying to work with some airlines to help them identify who those top prospects are. How, hmm. how do we mine very, very large data sets of um, you know, companies filings, state filings, Secretary of State filings, uh, newsprints, uh, help identify who the influencers are in these and present that information back to sales managers so huh. they can start to chase demands in, a, in an efficient way. Right, uh, And that's, that's been interesting to do. And, and it's another use of, of data that, we probably wouldn't have chased five years ago or three years ago. It just wasn't required in our business. Right. It is now. <laughs> so, I mean, forgive me for using this word. You think uh, pleasure, as they call it, may actually be, uh, <laughs> maybe, I, it's a horrible word, but uh, <laughs> horrible. But uh, you think pleasure might be a, a growth market for airlines as they try to re- rebuild their corporate businesses? I, I think so. Um, we've done some research recently where we were looking at, and, and we, we surveyed something, I don't know, 14, 15,000 different people. Mm-hmm. And, and this idea of a third space came up. Right. Um, so there's a surprising number of workers who would be willing to pay up to $100 a month just to not work from home every day of the week or all hours of every day of the week, but just to have another space to go to. Not the office, mm-hmm. but another space. Um, and you know that that's a small piece of a bigger blizzard trend. But if you if people are willing to pay twelve hundred dollars 
to try and work in a slightly different environment. If companies over time have been setting up far more flexible, we don't care where you work as long as we make sure we report the taxes in the right place <laughs> sort, of, sort of policies, then there's a real opportunity to try and expand out. Well, take a couple of days on either side. That sounds really great for employees. Uh, it sounds great for bringing good business travel back. Um, sounds, sounds like a good idea to try and engage employees who've been away for a long time. And then all of those wonders of international travel and domestic travel that we've seen in the past spur creativity. Well, we don't get that as, as much anymore. Mm-hmm. We live in this, this weird digital world where we turn on and off, and it's hard to even have a whiteboard session. It would right. be lovely to be back somewhere else, experiencing something, something else, bring that back into an office environment or another Zoom call and make it go forwards. So that's interesting, um, Jonathan. So, so um, you know, the third space for a lot of listeners, I think, will remember. We'll think of the third space as like the cafe, the 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 sort of archetypical archetype of a startup. Somebody starting a billion dollar startup in a in a cafe in in Silicon Valley or San Francisco. But I mean that. But you're also saying the third space could be an international destination. Um, where meetings take place, and then pleasure, and then pleasure could, pleasure. could follow on right. from that. Um, yeah. You know, or, or we could we could have that idea. Of, I you know, my my last big trip was a trip to New York, and then you know, I suppose in, in our business, my, my next big trip might be back to the U.S. again, um, and. Uh, you know, it'd be nice to spend an extra few days around there and mm-hmm. go see family or go see people I haven't been able to connect with in the last year, year and a half. And and there's a lot of us in the world that are on one side of the border from where we grew up. Um, it's the, the core of the traditional VFR traffic. Mm-hmm. And if we can start to blend some some of that VFR world, uh, the visiting friends and family, relatives world, into business travel again, it's one more regenerative opportunity for travel. Huh. Yeah. We, we have to bring it back to demand, finding the people, marketing to them well, and then doing that at a grand scale because, you know, airlines are such such an interesting business where we have to do everything at super low cost. We've got to talk to a billion different passengers a year. We have to maintain some sort of relationship with them, know something about them, and then inspire them to come into our business one time, maybe once a year. Huh. It's, a t- it's a tough business to win in. Uh, <laughs> it does call for harnessing more technology to get it done right absolutely that's uh fascinating i I'm, I'm, i'll i'll be watching this pleasure trend i'd love to 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 bet you a cup of coffee on that the next time we see each other <laughs> whenever that may be not Deal. by not by zoom <laughs> all right jonathan sullivan thank you for max entered thank you so much for joining us on the lounge today and we hope to have you back soon great thanks so much Hey there, Edward Ned Russell. Welcome back. Hey, Madhu. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. And to our listeners, thanks for rejoining us after a little break. Um, I wanted to talk to Ned today about uh, transatlantics, the transatlantic summer, summer loving in, in over the North Atlantic, and how um, what what's happening with the transatlantic. I mean, you covered IAG, the International Airline Group's uh, earnings, British Airways, Vueling, Airlingus, Iberia. Iberia. Yep. Well, the what, what's happened with the transatlantic is a good question on everyone's mind. Uh, everyone was eagerly awaiting the UK's first 
green list uh, of travel of countries where, where Britons can travel to without uh, restrictions. The U.S. was not on it, right. which is a blow to, to reopening transatlantic travel. Uh, that, that list came out shortly after IAG's earnings, so they did not actually comment on it. But, uh, you know, the, the interesting thing that I'm seeing is they're not betting on transatlantic to be a, a large part of their summer revenues. That That's clear. You know, the lack of saying anything almost speaks speaks volumes about what they're thinking. And uh, yeah, without the UK, I mean, it really comes down to to the US and the EU now to see if they're going to open up. But it's getting really close to Memorial Day in the US, which is the symbolic start of summer here. And it's hard pressed to find people who haven't already made plans for the summer. Yeah, I mean, as we know, um, people people make their summer vacation plans months in advance, sometimes a year in advance. And the the pandemic, of course, has sort of upended that that planning process for a lot of people, you know, schools are shut, some schools are reopening, uh, people aren't going back to work, childcare, et cetera. There's a lot of different reasons why the pandemic has really upended vacation planning, but two weeks is not a lot of, a lot of time to plan a, a European vacation. No, not at all. <laughs> not at all. Well, in, speaking of, of that lead time, despite booking curves being shortened, which every airline has talked about, it's uh, it's really a uh, make or break point. Uh, Cowan analyst Helene Becker wrote this morning that she thinks the at least for the U.S. the Biden administration needs to make a decision on reopening the next week to ten days, or you know it will be another quote unquote lost summer over the North Atlantic just uh, because America you know most Americans won't travel. I don't want to say everyone. There is of course going to be those people that are pining for their you know, Parisian visit and we'll book regardless of when it opens up. But it, um, it looks like airlines are, are yeah, they're, they're placing their bits elsewhere. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, to, you know, the, the, that Parisian visit, like the coffee and croissant you, you sort of mentioned just a minute ago. I mean, that's, that's not even possible at the moment. I mean, you, you, if you, Ned Russell wanted to go to Paris for a long weekend, you couldn't. Right. I couldn't right now, Madhu, but uh, I mean, yes, yeah. <laughs> if they reopened, you know, I mean, the question again is also, yeah, could you sit and have a, a coffee and a croissant in a Parisian cafe overlooking the Seine is, I think, also top of mind because just yeah. because France is open to American travelers, will that experience be also open? That's another question. And I don't no, know that- the answer to that. That's something that a lot of um, people have sort of forgotten this conversation when we're when we talk about air routes reopening, is that when you get to when you get to your destination are the restaurants and museums and all the the, the attractions that you would normally go visit will they be open? So I mean they're, they're, there's no point in taking that Parisian vacation if you're in your hotel and 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 uh, making coffee on, uh, in the with the tea kettle in your hotel room. <laughs> those, those Nespresso instant packets aren't uh, aren't they? They just don't live up to the Parisian coffee now, do they? Exactly. <laughs> and you know, when we were talking recently, you and I about um, uh, the president of the European Co- Commission, Ursula von der Leyen, saying that the EU could reopen for vaccinated Americans soon. She did. She very notably did not offer a timeline. Right. right. She just said soon. Well, the summer is here. The summer is yep. two weeks away yep. for in the U.S. and and um, schools will be closing. I mean, school, a lot of schools in a lot of states extended their academic year to later into later in the summer than they normally would. But even still, we're talking June, July. And that, that's that 
that's not a lot of time for anyone to plan a vacation. No, not at all. And you know, what's also striking about Europe, we're talking about things reopening is we're starting to seeing more flights being added for the European uh, at the European airlines for the summer schedule. And IAG during their earnings said that they plan to to, you know, they hoped, I should say, have a, a good summer schedule from Jul- in July and August. But that's really a more much more compressed season than what the U.S. carrier is looking at, just because Europe is behind the U.S. in this reopening. And just uh, today, we're recording on Tuesday, British Airways announced a number of additional frequencies and new routes, all beginning at the end of June. So IAG, even if if you're reading the tea leaves, is not expecting that demand to pick up until the end of June, really. And and even in Europe, like in the US, we're seeing flights to, to basically beach destinations and outdoors points, not to Paris and Berlin as much as Malaya, uh, you know, um, Majorca and Greece. <laughs> And Dubrovnik, let's not forget Dubrovnik. Yes, and Dubrovnik, Croatia. Croatia. Everyone seems my... to be beating a path to to Dubrovnik. Croatia could have a booming summer. I mean, they could be the new it place for all we know. Well, they they uh, Croatia was building off its uh, Game of Thrones fame, fame anyway. Um, What's that, Madhu? I haven't uh, heard of that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Ned, uh, I know you're. Um, how tapped in you are into the cultural zeitgeist so it wouldn't surprise me if you didn't know what i was talking about uh, <laughs> for the record i do know what game so of thrones that, is but i have not watched it so i don't know what everyone's talking which is about. surprising <laughs> because those dragons didn't have didn't have either rails or or fixed wings and engines so it's surprising <laughs> that even knew what they are fair enough um, fair enough but uh anyway <laughs> So, so that so Europe is Europe will be an interesting thing to watch. Um, Asia is also, I mean, it's an interesting thing to watch. Their reopening has been very slow. Whether the Olympics even happens is is a question now. I mean, there right. there's more um, sort of more uh, out, expressions of outrage in within Japan that the Olympics are even occurring. So, the New Zealand Australia travel bubble wobbled a little bit over the last week right right um you know I'm, speaking of asia there was a good piece in the the south china morning post madu that uh, came out the other day talking about how asian countries have had their those with covid success have done it by uh, having you know strict border controls and they're behind on vaccination campaigns and and it's there's uh some questions now whether they might sit out some of the the travel recovery because their populations aren't willing to have some higher level of risk so it's uh it's going to be interesting to watch asia asia reopen how they reopen yeah but but domestic china is booming i'm a lot of a lot of chinese um tourists who would ordinarily take that vacation to dubrovnik or oslo or paris are um instead going to xi'an or or or, you know chengdu they're going to they're traveling internally and um so it's I, I don't know. I mean, no, no, I was just talking to Brian Zanotens, uh, the head of uh, Americans uh, Network Planning, VP of Network Planning, who said, uh, you know, he said again, he, he, it's foolhardy to predict whether any of this is structural. Any of these changes are structural. But, you know, this sort of trend toward local tourism could could outlast this pandemic by a few years. I think there's and there's many people on the uh, especially those concerned more about climate change and stuff will would argue that that's a good thing. You know, the the growth, the you know, 
booming yeah. growth in global tourism has not necessarily been the best uh, for the climate. So more people staying somewhat closer to home is is good on that in that respect. You know, whether or not we like it, but yeah. it's uh, it is good. Yeah, it can be good. Yeah. Well, I mean, it can be good for sure. I mean, here in the U.S., it, it, Americans seem to have rediscovered a national treasure, which is the national park system. You know, last summer, a lot of people thronged the national parks in ways that they hadn't in many years. And um, the summer looks like it'll be even more. Uh, they'll be even more popular. Yosemite here. Uh, is Yosemite a national or a state park? I, I, I... National. <laughs> national, Madua. <laughs> but, you, you know, the, um, but the, they're limiting entrance, uh, entry now and uh, demand is far exceeding supply. Um, so that that is a net positive that uh, people have rediscovered these 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 things in their own backyards. That is for sure. I, I claim argued the same. I'm going to go check out the new national park in West Virginia this summer because, you know, it's in my backyard. It's easy to get to. So that's for sure. It's a, there's there's so many ancillaries follow uh, you know building on the the pandemic. Uh, it's so much broader than air travel and, and it's going to be interesting to see how these play out but I, I agree with with brian and american saying that it's foolhardy to try to predict what anything happens you know it's so much is still i'm gonna say it up in the air yeah <laughs> yeah well one thing that isn't up in the air is the the roaring back of domestic demand i just was uh listening to mesa the regional carriers um earnings and mesa operates flights for united and an American, and I was astonished, actually astonished to hear that Amer uh, Mesa plans to operate 100% of its pre-pandemic capacity for American this June. And now, are you really that astonished? Pandemic capacity. I am. I am. I mean, a hundred, all its flights for all, all, well, you know, they didn't well, say what, we don't know what load factors and, and right, how much demand right, there but, for those flights, but. If you if you look at past recessions, regional partners tend to come back first, just because for the That's major the airlines, it's cheaper lift than flying their own planes. Now, there, of course, are scope clause restrictions, and everything, but regional flying tends to, to be the first to come back. So I'm not all that surprised that Mesa would be back and above pre-crisis flying levels. Hmm. Yeah, I guess, I mean, that's a really good point. It's one I forgot, but it's still kind of in this, the last, I just have been so used, we've all been used in the last 14 months or so, uh, the sort of the discussion being one of subtraction, not addition. And now we're talking about addition and, and even exceeding what yes. it used to be. And that's, that's yes. um, so it's a, it's a change in, in the conversation, a change towards recovery, a more meaningful change towards recovery. Absolutely. And speaking of, of recovery, a train change towards growth, Allegiant Air announced today that they're hiring almost 200 new pilots, which wow. given their current pilot workforce is only a thousand. I mean, that's a 20 percent increase. Yeah. Huh. That's pretty dramatic. Over what time frame? Uh, they're going to have training classes into 2022. So over the next year. Huh. Wow. So things are things are starting to look up. At least for the leisure, you know, VFR-oriented airlines, they are, and the regionals. That's true. That's true. And uh, business travel, it still remains to be seen how when that will start to recover. TBD. <laughs> all right, Ned, thank you for joining us um, again this week. I know it's your job. And to all of you listening, thanks for joining us on 
this episode of the Airline Weekly Lounge. If you like what you hear, check us out at airlineweekly.com. Information on subscribing is on our website. A new issue of the weekly publication drops every Monday, and we update the site throughout the week. If you have any questions, comments, or feedback, you can reach me at mu at skiff.com. You can reach Ned at er, that's er for Edward Russell, at skiff.com. Thank you for joining us, and goodbye. Thank you for joining us for this week's episode of the Airline Weekly Lounge podcast. Should you have comments or questions, drop editor Madhu Unikrishnan a note at mu at skiff.com. Of course, check out airlineweekly.com for a new issue every Monday and updates on the latest airline news throughout the week.